1: hey everybody today we are talking to my friend cameron friend cameron friend is a minister guest speaker frequent podcast host chaplain from denver colorado and he graduated with a b.a in political science while also completing a minor in legal studies he also earned his master of divinity focused in theology and theological studies from baylor university Cameron is most known for his work around the areas of racial justice and conversations around race and culture. Cameron is the Youth and Millennial Engagement Coordinator at the King Center. And now let's welcome Cameron to the show. Hi, Cameron. Thank you so much for joining us. We're excited to have you on the
2: podcast today. Let's dive right in. So, I think given the current cultural and political climate, um, it feels like Dr. King's teachings are as relevant as ever, more urgent than ever. But it kind of feels like it's more difficult to uphold the vision and mission of Dr. King. So how do you feel like Dr. King speaks to this moment? What advice would you give um, for those that maybe feel like his message of nonviolence is not relevant any longer?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, one of the things that I think constantly gives me hope and, and a cause for the urgency of the moment is the idea uh, that we are tied in a, in a single garment of destiny together and inextricably so. Uh, I think the fact of the matter is is that what we are seeing happening in the world, uh, whether it be what's happening in Afghanistan, whether it be what's what's happening here in the U.S. with what's happening in Louisiana and Mississippi and Alabama with the hurricanes or the fires in California um, or even just some of the uh, the economic turmoil that we've been experiencing collectively for the last several years, and all of these things affect every single one of us. So. I think the relevancy of Dr. King is that it's what he talked about in 1960s. And really, you know, where do we go from here? Chaos or community with his last book that he wrote um, when he talks about in the strength to love, uh, the whole concept of building the beloved community. The reason that is important for us today is that we have to be able to utilize the principles and steps of nonviolence to not only not be due violence to people that are committing these crimes or, or being the perpetrators of injustice, but also to make sure we're coming up with nonviolent, equitable ways of solving issues and problems. I think one of the things is you know, we have to have a mindset that even though the work is difficult and even though the uh, the past seems tumultuous, um, the concept is that we need to be bridge builders. And again, not in a way that's passive, not at all, not in a way that says that you've done violence to me, that it cannot be taken care of or amended. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that the better I do, the better that you do. I cannot be all that I am supposed to be unless you are all that you are supposed to be. And so that is the concept. And I think a lot of people, Catherine and Faith, they have this maybe misconception about nonviolence that it says that, well, I'm supposed to just let things happen to me. I'm not I'm supposed to be a passive participator in activism or advocacy. Well, well, the reason that is no, and one of the reasons it has to be that way is I have to take an ever-changing an ever actionable and an ever present stance on issues of justice. And I have to be willing to give myself, to give my time, to give my resources for the commitment to the work of justice. It's never ending. It doesn't stop. Uh, Mrs. Credit Scott King said it very famously that freedom is never fully won, but it's earned with each and every new generation. So the way that we have to approach the fight for nonviolence is not one that is stagnant. It didn't end in the 1960s. It didn't end when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Uh, It didn't even end with the passing of Mrs. Credit Scott King. Uh, It's continued into the work of the the people that are young and carrying out the mission today, the people that have laid the foundation for us from yesterday, and then also the children that we are building up and, and helping to go forward. So, uh, it's an ever-present journey. And I think that as we continue to think about nonviolence, we have to think about actively participating in that process ourselves. As yeah, well. that's
2: great. And I love the mention of um, Mrs. Scurita, Scott King. We're all about Black women here and their contributions to civil rights and the work of justice. So appreciate that.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the things that Dr. Bernice A. King, CEO of the King Center and, and the rest of the King Center staff has really made a a strong ma- ma- you know, mention that Mrs. Coretta Scott King is the one that continued the legacy. You know, We wouldn't have Dr. King without Mrs. Coretta uh, because he was assassinated in 68. She established yeah. the King Center in 1968. She fought for the building to be established in 1981 and she continued the work of nonviolence to make Dr. King not just a uh, memorandum um, but also to make his name, to make his legacy the internationally known spokesperson for nonviolence for M V 365 and for the beloved community. So without Mrs. Coretta Scott King, Black woman, Black mother, Black leader, uh, we wouldn't have the engine that is Dr. Martha De King Jr. today.
1: I love it. Mm, that's really good. So I want to know what does peace building mean to you? But then also like how have the six principles of nonviolence actually shaped your personal work as an activist?
0: Yeah. Well, that's a really great question. Uh, I think one of the things that I maybe have leaned into most in my own understanding of nonviolence in the work is uh, nonviolence does not seek to actually go after the person or the perpetrator. Uh, Rather, it seeks to win friendship and understanding, uh, but it also seeks to defeat injustice and not people. And I think that's maybe one of the hardest things, right? You know, we Mm -hmm. see the things that are happening politically. We see the things that are happening down the street. You know, you hear about corporations taking advantage of the poor. You know, we hear about police brutality. We hear about the policing system, the police officers. Um, But the fact of the matter is, is that that person is also part of a broken system. And so unless we address the system, And unless we address the issue, and we continue to try to go after the people, then we still run into the same thing every day. And you know this because, uh, you know, we had the height of the KKK in the 1960s and the 1970s, and we had the height of uh, the bombings in Philadelphia in the 1980s by the Philadelphia Police Department. But the fact of the matter is, unless you actually address the issues of violence, address the issues of racism, address the issues of sexism, address the issues of xenophobia, then you will not combat the very issue that will plague us. In the 2020s, 2030s, and 2040s, because people will always come and grow, but ideologies and methodologies, that is consistent. So it's not that the messengers will always change, but the people who carry that message, those, those are the ones that have to be formed and thought differently. And they have to continue to think about their world, think about their lives, think about the issues differently. You know, how is it that I can benefit from a system in a way that also another man or another woman can also benefit from as well. So uh, it's changing the way that we think. It's changing the way that we approach day-to-day subjects. It changes the way that we approach people. And so when you see conversations that are happening on Twitter, Mm -hmm. especially, you you see things that are happening in the world If we make too much out of that one person, then we lose sight of the very system that allowed them to do that work in the first place.
1: Absolutely. So
0: going after those issues is the most important thing that has affected me. And as an activist, as somebody who works in advocacy, is trying to find ways to find equitable solutions that uplift all boats together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I do have a question, though. Another question. So what about people who have that family member, that cousin, that whomever, that they just are like, in the sunken place or, you know, you you talking crazy and I don't want to deal with them no more. You know, like when I listen to what you're saying, I'm like, man, that's so good. Like, but how do I, how do I address the system? How do I address the systemic issues? And I'm struggling with the person.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things I've learned over the years of doing work to eradicate racism, that one of the things you have to have in order to have those difficult conversations is relationships. You know, that equity needs to be there you know, the more trust that you already have in that person or a relationship, then the more you can speak into that person's life. So uh, I think in terms of addressing people that have some uh, conflictual things about them that they're saying or believing or some actionables that are harmful to other people, uh, it's very important to be able to address that person directly uh, from a position of love. Uh, but again, a position of love is not passive. A position of love is strong and it's active and it's declarative as well. So uh, I think one of the things I've learned that I've had to do is to, to love you well, I have to love myself well. And to love myself well, I have to have boundaries in place as well. So what that doesn't mean is that at every waking moment in my life, I'm going to give space to you every time you say something crazy or every time you make a mistake or every time you do something harmful um, but the fact of the matter is I'm choosing when I'm going to do these things but when I choose to do so my intent is very clear and it's also very decisive so I'm going to do it we're going to have this conversation I'm going to tell you what needs to be said but at the end of this you can choose to go along with it and make changes and continue to move forward or you're going to choose to stay where you are but I'm not going back to this place with you so you're going to have to you're going to have to sit in this place you know by yourself for a little bit. So uh, I think it's about being able to find what you're able to do and having boundaries set for yourself. Otherwise, you will find yourself spending spending energy and maybe even better yet, Faith and, and Catherine, you'll find other people spending your energy and not having any control of your own.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, wow. <laughs> that was a word. <laughs> um, I appreciate that. That's really helpful because I think people often struggle who do these work or want to have these conversations with like, what does it look like to set healthy boundaries and feeling like, um, yeah, what does it mean to be in relationship with people who maybe even beyond racism, you have deep, deep political, social disagreements with, what does that look like? And I think you've given us a really healthy model for what that might look like. Mm -hmm. Um, Something you mentioned earlier is um, kind of your work with youth and the idea that, you know, systems and ideologies have to be changed. That's We're not talking solely about people. So I, the question is then why is investment in youth particularly important? How is it an important extension of Dr. King's work? And then what are some ways that we can engage students in anti-racism work and activism?
0: Ooh, uh, uh, as, as I'm speaking as Cameron Friend, I think one of the things that might be a little controversial is, uh, especially when we're talking about uh, non-BIPOC children is many of them are taught how to be racist as soon as they hit planet Earth. And one of the reasons is if you're born into a system mm. that says that you know white skin and white values and white culture is better, and superior and everyone that's in prominent positions around you is of a certain skin tone, then you start to believe this idea that somehow that is the way that things are supposed to be. And then every person you're around that's of color, uh, they're either in positions that are working underneath you, they're doing you know maintenance, whatever else it may be, which is fine. Those are fine, obviously, jobs to have. But when you live in a world where there is a class that has been appropriated by racial categories, then it creates these very problematic tendencies and ideas. And at least it can. So targeting youth is very important because we have to be able to teach black and brown children especially that they have the utmost value in this world, that they have a place in this world, they belong in this world, they have a voice and they're powerful. We have to also teach white children or non-BIPOC children that, you know what, you also have a place, but be aware of the system that you do live in that was set up for you to benefit and for others to not to be able to benefit. And I think this is very telling in the fact that in the public education system in places like Georgia and Texas and other places, we're dealing with this conversation about critical race theory. And what's happening is because of the way a lot of conservative politicians, politicians are viewing areas and conversations around race in school, they're saying that you can no longer even teach the I have a dream speech appropriately because it causes children to feel bad about their racial identity if they are white. So now it's going to be in some cases, if it goes through, that you can't say that the KKK is morally wrong because that would then presuppose that there Mm. is a moral leaning for folks that believe a certain kind of identity, which again. It's, it's incredulous to think about, but that's where we are. So the reason that children are so important to go after and target, is because while they're having the foundations laid for the rest of their life, while they're coming to understand who they are and how they wanna engage in culture and society, they need to be taught that there is a reality to this world, but there is a truth to power that you have the ability to speak to. And there is a nonviolent ethic that you can embed in your person. That way, when you have personal issues, when you see domestic issues, you see international crisis, you can address it appropriately. Instead of saying, this is us versus them, this is we, and this is us. And how do we work together to accomplish strategies that have nonviolent, practical, equitable solutions to them. But again, you the earlier you can learn that the easier it is to identify because you no, know, we're adults now. Now it's not that it's a long shot for us to learn, but we have 31 years, me, I have 31 years of learning that I have incorporated into my person. So it takes a little bit more work for me to unlearn unhealthy habits or unhealthy thoughts. Whereas when you're a child, everything is brand new, everything is fresh. So with the King Center, with the Beloved Community Leadership Academy, with students with King, it's about how do we embed and ingratiate the culture of nonviolence and Dr. King's leadership style into those children. That way they can grow up in it and be raised in it and they can speak it themselves as they're getting older.
2: Yeah, no that's really good. And yeah. I I mean as a follow up, I think it's so interesting these debates about critical race theory in school. One no one most of the people fighting against it don't know really what it is. So like th- then it's becoming a debate about what history is taught. Like we can't have a conversation about Dr. King's I have a dream speech, but then this idea that like it's just about Kids making white kids feel bad. I think about how I felt as an African-American woman going through history class and never learning about Ida B. Wells or Fannie Lou Hamer. And it's like, do our feelings not matter? And like when we tell this one version of history where, you know really and truly only white men are the heroes and everybody else is like a villain or not even included. Um, And I think to your point, it speaks to the importance of these conversations that people are fighting so hard to keep young people from um, from learning these lessons. So I love what you said about how part of what you're trying to do in teaching young people is making it easier for them to live lives
1: as adults, uh, living out this idea of King's beloved community. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's just a lot of ignorance abounds. Let's just say it (laughs) that way. Ignorance abounds. And, um, you know, the fact that Dr. King's work who was literally, I mean, one of the staples that you know you're gonna hear in school and history? They're even trying to push back against that. It's like, I mean, y'all yeah, really don't want black people and you know other young kids mm-hmm. to really know black history. That's just the truth, because you know. You have to sit through learning about all these white people and they're not sitting there like, oh, my gosh, it's so sad that the black kids don't know their history. Yeah. They're happy about it. You know what I mean? Like they want to change the laws. And so um, I think that what you're talking about is is so important and why the youth need to be reached. But on the other side of this, like, kind of like following up, there are some students who do want to get involved in activism work. But. Their parents won't allow them to. Um, and a lot of time, this happens mostly um, in with the non-BIPOC um, community. Um, but then there are some within the BIPOC community that might wanna go out there and protest or do something and their parents are like, no, I, I want you to come home safe or whatever. Like what advice do you give yeah. to students who are saying, how can I feel like I'm making a difference? How can I feel like I'm making an impact? Because let's not like sugarcoat it here. Students do make a difference. Students made a huge difference in the civil rights movement mm-hmm. in their leadership. And so we cannot, you know, yeah make it seem like students don't have a voice and that their advocacy isn't powerful because it truly is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a loaded question. And I think there's a lot of ways that that can go. I think education is probably the most important thing. And I think we live in an era where you can educate yourself, thankfully, uh, you know, that if you feel like you're missing something, uh, you know, when we were we were kids, I had to go to the yeah. library uh, to actually go find some books and everything, which is obviously still beneficial. But I mean, take it, Take take ownership of your own education and your own learning. You know, if you feel like there's something you're missing or feel like half the story is not being told, you have the ability to research that. There are many accredited resources that you can pull from to help learn about Black history, Indigenous history. There's ways that you can learn about how did we get here? You know, what where do we need to go to move forward? And how do I learn about issues that I don't feel like my school is teaching me? Uh, so taking ownership of your education is important. Um, Also, social media, I think that social media has been talked about in a very broad stroke. A lot of people have a negative connotation associated with it, but the good news is, I mean, you can go to TikTok right now and there's people that are littering TikTok with education and backgrounds on black stories and brown stories and indigenous stories. And, you know, what are the things that are happening now? I mean, even what we learned recently in the indigenous community and some of the school systems that were literally punishing and, and, and killing children that no one knew about. Well, you learn about that from indigenous people who know those stories, but couldn't share them publicly until now. So finding accounts, finding social media accounts, finding websites and finding things online that you can actually lean into, I would say at the King Center, uh, you know, if you want an opportunity to learn, you want direct quotation, you want direct documents from people like Dr. Martin King Jr., Mrs. Credit Scott King, Slick. I mean, you want to hear about the Chicago Freedom Project. We have documents on campus that you can sign up and learn from and you can read firsthand from the people who put that stuff together. I'm talking about millions of pieces of paper. So there are so many resources for you to be able to take advantage of. And the more that you can continue to lean into your own education and empower yourself, then the stronger you'll be. Uh, I think that is a very uh, tentative line to walk if your parents are, if you're living in the house and you're underneath the age of 18 and your parents are telling you, hey, I don't want you doing this and that. I think, you know, I would never tell anybody to disobey their parents, you know, so I think you obviously need to be very respectful of that. But I also think that if there are, if there's something that, you feel it would be detrimental for you to miss out on. It's very important you communicate that. I think the biggest thing that I had to learn, and I don't know about you all, I know Faith and Catherine, y'all have been great leaders your whole lives, and you know you might not have had the, the run-ins that I had to have in order to get where I am now, but I think I really had to learn that I had a voice. That even when I felt that people didn't want to hear what I had to say, that what I had to say wasn't important, I had to learn to practice and get it out there. With your own parents, who else is there better (laughs) to talk to about things you might be struggling with, things that you might believe you need to have a part of your life? about your own identity, about what you're trying to achieve, the life you want to live, the things you want to learn about. Well, who else is better to talk to about that? Because you know what the great thing is about living in a system and a family. It teaches you how to learn how to get along, but also to learn about what you need to do in order to get what you want to get and get where you want to go. So that's the thing that you have the opportunity to, to do. So, have those conversations with your parents and/or guardian. Have that conversation with your older or younger brother, older or younger sister, your cousins and them, your auntie <laughs> and them, Pookie and them, whoever you need to talk to. You know, be willing to have those tough conversations because you are in charge of your own destiny in the sense of how you are being formed and shaped. So, again, I, I think that there's a, obviously a way to be respectful about doing that. So, I always want to make sure we're doing it. But at the same time, you have the freedom and the autonomy to ask questions. And if you don't feel like you're getting the answer as deeply as you want to get it, then there are ways that you can take advantage of the resources around you.
2: Yeah, I think you said something really powerful about, I think that we um, minimize the role of education and activism and, adv- and advocacy. And so, like, the, that is, can be a form of activism and ac- advocacy. Knowing a version of history or your own personal story um, does empower you in some ways. And, you know, maybe you are you can't convince your parents to let you get in the streets, but yeah. I think the investment you're making in doing the ev- education, whether on TikTok, I will say yes. trust, verify. but verify. Yeah, exactly.
0: exactly. <laughs>
2: with social social media. But I will say that investment that you're putting in your own education and time, when you are 18 plus, you would be in a different place than if you had just kind of ignored that desire to learn more. Um, so I think that's a really great.
0: To follow up with that, Kathleen, you said something really important. So we have the six principles and six steps at the King Center, but the six steps, The first step is information gathering, because, again, you cannot solve Mm -hmm. a problem unless you know the problem. And so the two things that you have to do before you do anything else and understanding the principles and steps of nonviolence is information gathering and education. You gather the necessary information and you educate yourself in a way that you're supposed to. And then you make a personal commitment to continue to go through that process. So uh, I would I would be. I'll be remiss to not to not mention that, because, again, if you want to do any work in advocacy, you want to do any work in working for justice, then you have to make sure that your brain is correct before anything else is.
2: Yeah, that's really good. Okay, since you mentioned and I think Faith mentioned earlier, what are the six steps of nonviolence, six principles of nonviolence?
0: Yeah. So the six principles of nonviolence, again, this is uh, very broad, but like six principles of nonviolence cover different things. So the first one is nonviolence is a way of life for courageous people. Nonviolence is a way of life for courageous people. The second one is nonviolence seeks to win friendship and understanding. The third one is nonviolence seeks to defeat injustice, not people. The fourth one is nonviolence holds that all suffering for a cause can educate and transform people in societies. Uh, In another way, uh, Mm. suffering can be redemptive, meaning that there's things that you can learn from suffering. Now, again, it's not advocating just go out there and just suffer or let people just do stuff to you. But your experiences, they're not just for themselves. They are redemptive because you can learn from them, and those experiences can benefit other people. Principle five is nonviolence chooses love instead of hate, which, again, is maybe one of the harder ones to embody. Nonviolence chooses love instead of hate. Uh, and then, principle six is nonviolence. Believe that the universe is on the side of justice. Uh, and again, depending on what uh, theological tr- tradition you come from or what religious background you come from, uh, nonviolence believes that the universe believe that God is on the side of justice because God is a God of justice, or believe that the long arc of the universe is to bent to the side of justice. Mm-hmm. So, uh, understanding those are the six principles, and then I've we also, we also have six steps as well.
2: Okay. Well, we'll link those in the show notes for anybody. And we'll also link the... King Center, So you can find all this stuff because it's great resources and some of it is free. Um, so I want to ask as we're closing, because uh, I think Dr. King, even as he was, you know, giving a gut punch around the reality of injustice in our country, he was hopeful and he spoke to hope. And so to close, I thought maybe it would be good for you to share what you're hopeful, given all that's going on in the world. And there's a lot to be sad or angry or mad about. What are you hopeful for right now?
0: Yeah, I I think that one of the most pertinent things that has uh, stuck out with me the last couple of years, I think despite how difficult things have been politically, uh, despite how ravaged this country and this world has been economically, despite the turmoil, the war, we have more people banding together for the work of justice than we ever have before, we have more people participating in the voting process, particularly people of color than ever have before. Um, We have more opportunity for entrepreneurship than we ever have before. We have more access to education and technology than we ever had before. So, what's happening is, even as the world is seemingly growing more divided, the world is also going down the path of how do we go about the process of restorative justice together? Uh, There's more young people than ever that have woken up to the American dream, per se, or the myths of of the world we're supposed to be living in and said, I don't want this. This is not for me. I want to choose different. I want something bigger. I want something more meaningful. I want something better for all of us. So, now we are seeing a rise, a resurgence where in 2020, we had more protests in 2020 than we had had since the civil rights movement in the 1960s. So think about that. So even in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of all these other calamities, more people are saying yes to justice. More people are saying yes to using their social media platforms, using their own businesses, using their relationships, using their education, using their pedigrees, using their families, using what they have, to go forward in the fight for justice for all of humanity. And I think as we are educating ourselves, we are educating each other, we are finding ways to pour into each other. There's more sites available for you to personally mm-hmm. fund movements and help people and assist people with resources. There's sites available to get the education and learning and reading that you need. You can go visit the Equal Justice North Memorial in the middle of Montgomery, Alabama. You can go down to Washington, D.C. and see the largest African-American museum in the United States. You can. Go to the King Center. You can go to Stanford and got the collection of all the the King and nonviolent books. There's more access than ever. So there is no lack. And I think all that we are looking for is that. Uh, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few.
1: (laughs) So so making
0: that active decision to be a worker for justice, to be a worker of love, to be a worker of strength, to be a worker of the beloved community, that is the active choice. And more than ever, we have more people saying yes to that process than ever before. And then not just black and Brown, not just indigenous, not just Asian American, not just Korean American, not just people that live in first, first, you know, first grade worlds and have access to technology anybody there's there's people right now there's kids this is getting me hyped y'all there's kids right now in places in africa and places in haiti that are literally building systems of water and electricity without any any modern science or modern tools available to them they're choosing to do this because they have access to information and they're utilizing it i believe right now there is an eighth grader that just went to, to georgia tech a, a young black boy that just enrolled to georgia tech i'm like y'all th- there ain't got no reason but to be hopeful there's no reason yeah. but to be hopeful you know so i think that as we are seeing everything for all the bad that we're seeing in the universe there is way more good that's happening on a day-to-day basis you just might not see it uh and i'll leave you with this one of my my favorite quotes of all time is there are probably ten thousand things that god is doing in your life right now and you can probably see three of So I think for all the nonsense we see in the world, there's 10,000 great things that are happening right now at this moment. And so we can be thankful for that. Now, that doesn't mean that we relax on the work. It means that we can be hopeful if we press leaning harder in to doing the work of justice.
2: Yeah, I love that. You got me hyped too. I'm feeling very like, (laughs) I was feeling, we... Yeah, you know, we've, we were recording earlier I was like, there's a lot. You know, I try to generally be a positive person and I'm just like, oh, the world. And I'm like, no, the world. <laughs> so thank you for that. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's good because it's a reminder that there wouldn't be so much pushback, so many laws trying to change, so many of those things if there weren't. Very visible signs of progress and people who are not content with things being the way that they have always been. And that's why there's so much opposition. And, you know, the news and things like that, you know, they're supposed to tell us what's bad going on in the world. They're not going to sit around and tell us everything that's happy that's going on. Um, So I think that you are right. There is more progress and there is a lot more going on that's positive than oftentimes that we see. And what we're really experiencing is the remnant of pushback but not the overarching beauty of the movement that's truly changing the world so thank you for being on the podcast with us cameron um we're so glad that you joined us and now it is time for our favorite segment and yours go off fam So um, we're going to go first, Cameron, so then you can just kind of, you know, see how we go off and then you can go off and we'll let you go off last. Um, I'm going to go first. There's just so many things that I could uh, go off about, but I think I want to start with the positive first, which is going to be what I'm loving right now. My my bless. I think there are. So many amazing conversations right now happening with black women about um, mental health, caring for ourselves, um, just kind of like a like a camaraderie, a sisterhood that I've seen happen, um, especially a lot amongst millennials, um, more so, but. There's just been more of a celebration and a lack of competition and scarcity mindset that I've seen amongst us. And I think that really encourages me for our generation, especially growing up with folks who are older than us, where it's kind of like, listen, this is my spot and I'm not leaving until I die. So you're not gonna be able to, you know, be here or engage or come over here. There's so much more of a shared, collective cheering on of one another and I, I really admire that you know, across the board um, for people. So I'm gonna say that's something that I'm loving right now. Something that is a mess. There's so many things that I could say that are a mess right now, but I, I kind of wanna do something a little bit more um, lighthearted. Now I am watching 90 Day Fiance, or wait, no, 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 no. That's another show I do like, not that one. Um, Married at First Sight, Married at First Sight, season 13 right now, Um, wow, wow. There's so many things going on. I really feel like some of the couples that they have matched are definitely not gonna make it and they've set some of these people up to (laughs) fail. I think it's just because of the entertainment value. I think it's because they know we we wanna see some drama, but I really wanna see these people end up together when they pair them together. So when they set people up to fail and I'm like, you know these couples, you. You know this one said he wants somebody that's financially stable, and she's over here talking about, I got mountains of credit card debt, and I don't even know how to, I don't even really know how to save money. I mean, why did you do that? Why did you do that? Like now, like now, now they gotta work it out. Not that it can't be worked out, but I'm just saying, when you come to the table with your preferences, and then you just match and now we have to wait to see if it even happens, or if they even survive as a couple. So that's my mess. I just want, I want the, the experts to get it right. So, Anyways, that's all I have to say. Catherine, what about you?
2: (laughs) Okay, so I have um, two messes one serious, one lighthearted. My serious mess, climate change, and all of the people that um, still deny that it's a problem, we have seen over the summer with the fires and Hurricane Ida. I mean, the fact that like 13 people died in um, New York City because of drastic flooding. I mean, I think even as Christians, we need to take this more seriously. I think creation care, I think this idea that God idea to redeem creation only applies to people is false and it's bad theology and i think we have to get serious because climate change is literally killing it's literally killing people um my not serious mess is it is allergy season in texas and zyrtec and the pharmaceutical company is getting a lot of my money and i'm not happy (laughs) about it um my blessed Shout out to the Federal Trade Commission for investigating McDonald's and why the McFlurry machine is always broken, because mm. we need answers. Hey. It's, the ice cream machine is, machine is never working at McDonald's. So I appreciate the Biden administration for taking on that challenge.
1: Hey, and then and, I also... Wait, didn't they say about that investigation that the company that, like... Owned or created the machines, they were like the only people that could come out and fix it, and they fought, and they McDonald's sued them so that they and like their own staff can fix the machines themselves, and they they actually won that lawsuit. Well, wow. well,
2: I you know for, I'm a, I'm appreciative, um, and then my last thing is I'll just recommend. Um, New show on Hulu, Only Murders in the Building, Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Mm. Gomez, which sounds not good, but it is delightful. And especially if you like true crime, but it's like parody of true crime podcast. It's really lovely. I do not like that Hulu does not release all the episodes at one time, like Netflix. They're the worst. But the show is wonderful and it's worth giving a chance. Mm. Those are my blesses. Okay. Cameron.
0: Well, uh, my first serious mess is I am very perturbed with the fact that we have gone since 2005 with Hurricane Katrina, and the United States has not decided in uh, Louisiana uh, because of financial reasons and others that they didn't want to update the levy system to be where. they could prevent stuff like this if they wanted to. It's just you you choose not to. Uh, I see this similarly to what's happening in the fact that we still don't have clean water like we should in Flint, Michigan since 2014. Yep. Uh, there is a common denominator with all these cities that continue to go through devastation. Uh, they black. Uh, They blackity, black, black, uh, 90 plus percent black. Mm -hmm. And so because these communities uh, and I don't know if you ever read into what happened after Katrina with the blood covenants where there were communities were white communities trying to come into these formerly black communities and seal them off and say, if you're not related to all these white people in the circle, then you can't live back in these areas. And uh, there's all kind of stuff that happens. So that really bothers me that uh, we live in a country that is hailed every single year by hurricanes from Texas all the way to the coastal Californ- Carolinas and to the Floridas and all that. And then we still don't have an equitable levy system that's built in place like many European countries do, which, again, it just shows to show you that we don't really prioritize black and brown living in this country like we should. Uh, my not so serious mess is, I don't know if y'all been watching, uh, but there is a show on ne- on a Hulu called Love, uh, Love Island. And uh, I've been watching that the last two seasons. And my homeboy, right? And the, what did I say, y'all? Nonviolence seeks to defeat injustice and not people. So I am addressing this, not saying that any fake can't be redeemed. But Faye is off her rocker. And this is my real issue. (laughs) Teddy, African-American dude. I mean, good-looking black dude. Good-looking dude. Great physique. all. I mean, I'm like, Teddy, that's my dog. He walked on the show, looked icy, was dripping, right? And he decided to get with Faye. The problem is Faye would be letting off Whenever she get mad, whenever she feel pressure, whenever she feel pushed, she'd be going off. I'm talking about calling you out your name, demeaning you. So she flipped out because when he went to Castle Amor, he didn't do nothing, but he had to kiss another girl a part of a game. So Faye decided, I'm going to demean this whole man's humanity. And he did it. And she did it in front of everybody. And so what did Teddy do? Teddy was like, oh, oh, I still love it. I still got him. What? What? <laughs> you gonna let that woman disrespect you in front of all these people like that and then you still gonna take it back? And Lord, Lord, Lord. And again, I ain't trying to go there, but we gonna go there, we talking about meth. This man had an opportunity to link up with a couple black women on the show, but he was already with Faye, so I'm gonna give you, he was already with Faye. You know, Faye's a white woman, he was already with her, he was already leaned in, she's cool people when she cool, but he let some black women go. I'm like, Teddy, Teddy, they would never, Faye would never talk to you like that. And you're going to go back to this, this, this white woman talking to you like that? Talking about you love her and you crying and whatnot? I oh, said, Teddy, Teddy, Teddy. I couldn't believe it. Go to your Twitter right now. If you ain't watched it, go watch it. But check your Twitter for Teddy it. and Faye. It's a mess. Mess. Toxicity. To t- Toxicity. To Toxicity. Toxicity. All right. And then, uh, blessed. Man, there, there's so much uh, great content and stuff going on right now, man. Like, I know Issa Rage just dropping a new show on HBO and all that stuff. And look, uh, I, I just want to go ahead and say that uh, there there is a soon-to-be uh, podcast coming out with the King Center that's dripping in content and all that stuff as well. So be on the lookout yes. for the Rethink podcast and everything as well. Uh, let me go ahead and bless y'all. The fact that Faith and Catherine is is keeping the Melanated Faith podcast going on like strong like it is. I mean, just cause the fact that y'all have been doing this in the middle of a panini, the fact that y'all are two black women, two educated black women, two intelligent black women, two kind and just strong black women who are just like I know what my business is I'm about my father's business and we gonna tell this true the fact that y'all been running this game like you've been running it and doing it to the rate that you've been doing it I'm gonna go ahead and give y'all a shout out bless up y'all I pray that y'all grow in wisdom stature and favor with God and among men that y'all continue to dominate y'all territories that you've been given that it continues to expand across the board because we need more black women like y'all running the game in the first place so I'm here for it every day of the week 365 days 24 hours a day let's go I love y'all y'all my people bless Bless up. Bless
2: up. Uh, I love it. That's Thank so, uh, you. Thank you for giving
1: us our I flowers. Yes.
2: <laughs> yes. And that blessing. Thank you so much. That's awesome. Oh, I also have to say, Cameron, I didn't know you went to Truett. I don't think we were there at the same time. I don't know. I was kind of a part-time student for the first couple of years. So I don't know a lot of people, but that is very, I'm glad uh, we
0: have that connection. Let me see. So what year did you get done?
2: I just graduated in May, but I started in fall of 2016.
0: Yeah, so I was here. I was here in Atlanta at that point in time. Yo, do you know uh, Saida? Yes, Saida.
2: Yeah. Shout out to Saida. I love her.
0: Yeah, yeah. She's at Friends University right now. That's that's my girl. Yeah, I definitely see her uh, about once or twice a year when I go up there. So yeah, uh, trua got some. Got some. got some goats, man. So yes. I, I love that school.
1: Yes, awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. Um, Everybody just, you know, share this with your friends, like, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next week. Bye, Bye, guys.
0: Bye, y'all.